Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Man, I'm so excited about our series in Acts. And we're going to begin getting into the meat of this. And it's, I have, anyway, you don't care about me. Let's go on. So the, the title of our study through the book of Acts is the beginning of our story. The beginning of our story. You know, when we go through the Gospels and it's Jesus working with his, his apostles, calling them, sending them, training them, correcting them. We don't have that one-on-one interaction with Jesus the way that they did. So it's very difficult to apply the Gospels to our own lives. The book of Acts is about us. The book of Acts is about the, the history, the founding of the church. And I want you to think about something. So look at Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So that those two verses are talking about the gospel of Luke. So if you think about it, God used Luke to write the gospel of Luke, the longest gospel, and the book of Acts, which is the longest book in the New Testament, you know, in, uh, following the Gospels. So when you look at the amount of literature that God had Luke write, it's a really significant portion of the New Testament. And what we have in the book of Luke is Jesus Christ, his birth, his calling, his training, his, his what he knew by the time he was 12 years old. And then we have his calling of his apostles, his training of his apostles, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then some instructions that he gave to the apostles after his resurrection. We have all of that, but one of the things that we notice in the Gospels is the weakness of the apostles. We see their ignorance. We see their faithlessness. We see that that in that, that period, it's really Jesus that's doing the teaching, and it's the apostles that are doing the work. By the time we get to the book of Acts, it's the apostles that are doing the teaching, and the Holy Spirit doing the work through them. So we have mentioned, let's, let's look at a couple of things here. Let's lay our foundation. So again, we're beginning the book of Acts. What do we believe about the Bible? So I think I mentioned that I have a commentary that was sent to me by a friend, or set of commentaries on the book of Acts. And this guy said, I don't know if I said this in the service yesterday morning or last, last Sunday morning or not, but this, this commentator, his name is Craig Keener, he said that the, that the book of Acts is the most problematic book in the New Testament textually. So he's not sure whether or not what text, underlying text is true whether or not we have the actual words of the book of Acts or not. We do. And so this, we have to lay this foundation because some of the things we teach about the book of Acts might be different than what you might read if you read a commentary or hear if you're listening to a teacher. And I want to show you why. So our foundation is this. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture. And we don't believe that it's the men who were inspired, but it's the words that were inspired. So let's get our definition of inspiration. 
The first mention of the word inspiration is in Job chapter 38 and verse 2. The Bible says, There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So man has a spirit, and God gives that spirit understanding. That's what inspiration is. And when we follow that line of teaching, what we find out is he gave them understanding by giving them his words. So it's not the, uh, the men that are inspired, but the words. So here's our working definition of inspiration. Inspiration is the mechanism God used to get his mind to humanity without error. That's what we believe. Now, you might be hearing, you might say, well, that's silly. Okay, well, you don't believe. We, this is what we believe. This is what the Bible says, and this is what we believe. Now, if you claim to be teaching the Bible and you don't believe this, then you're not agreeing with the Bible. Is that fair? So, inspiration is the mechanism God used to get his mind to humanity without error. And then we understand the limitations of this. We understand the, the actually what is inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we know, it goes on, that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all this work that we're trying to do, the scriptures are what furnish us the, the ability to do that, but the scripture is given by inspiration. The men aren't inspired, the scripture is inspired. So inspiration is the mechanism God used to get his mind to humanity without error. That's the biblical teaching. Now, inscripturation, what is inscripturation? This might be a new word for some of you. This is when, so in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah had written, God had given him the words, Baruch had written them down. The king's men are given those words and they ask him in verse 17, it says this, and they asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? So they read this amazing literature, this amazing amount of literature. How did you write all this stuff? He said this, how did you write it all down? And it's very technical. Then Baruch answered them, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth and I wrote them with ink in the book. That's the process. The prophet spoke and his secretary, his amenuensis, Baruch, wrote them down. Isn't that a fun word, amenuensis? I'm going to name my next child if I ever have one, amenuensis. Inscripturation. And Laura is so thankful that we're too old to have kids, but inscripturation. So let's, let's look at our working definition of inscripturation. Inscripturation is the mechanism God used to get his words written down without error. So here, here's the way it worked. These were the original autographs. You hear about the original autographs. The original autographs, the, the prophet often didn't write it. He spoke it, and the secretary wrote it down. So God gave them inspiration as God giving them his mind, his words without error. Inscripturation is God having them write them down, write all these words down, as it said in Jeremiah 36, without error. These were the original autographs. These autographs were, off, were often written by a secretary, not the prophet. So let's get the New Testament understanding of this. Second Peter one twenty one says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Did I mess up there? What does it say? So the prophets spoke, and then God had somebody write it down. And they wrote it down without error. So you have inspiration 
is the mechanism whereby God gave his mind to the mind of man without error. Inscripturation is the mechanism whereby God, and how did I write it? Inscripturation is the mechanism God used to get his words written down without error. Now, how do we know we still have those? That's our doctrine of preservation. The Bible says in Psalm 12, 6, and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So remember, our teaching here, what we believe on these things, they're not based on the philosophy of man, but on the clear words of Scripture. We believe God inspired his words, he had them written down, and then he preserved them. So let's get a definition of preservation. Preservation is the mechanism God used to keep his words pure. Preservation is the mechanism God used to keep his words pure. So God inspired his words when the holy men of God spake. They were moved by the Holy Ghost to speak the words. And then he had them written down. So look at uh, Acts chapter 1. In verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. All. All. Look, just go back up a few verses to the last verses of John. Look at verse 24. John 21, 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. We know that what John wrote is true. We know that it's true. How do we know? Go to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible provided for you. Luke chapter 1. Verse 3. It seemed good unto me, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke had perfect understanding. He had perfect understanding of everything that was done. Well, how does that work? If I wrote a history of our marriage, okay, I don't have perfect understanding. How do I know? Laura reminds me of the things I've done wrong all the time. And I've forgotten all of those things, but she hasn't. She has perfect understanding of my errors, okay? I don't have perfect understanding of everything that happened. How did they have perfect understanding? Go to John chapter 16. Sorry, it's John chapter 14. John 14, and look at verse 25. Jesus Christ speaking, he's saying to his disciples, He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, yet are being yet present with you. But the Comforter, so, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. How did Luke have perfect knowledge? 
How did John have perfect knowledge? How can they say, we know these things are true? Because the Holy Spirit of God brought all of those things to their remembrance. So he inspired the words. He inspired those the, the, the writers. He, he allowed them to write those things, inscripturate them. And then how do we know we still have them? That's preservation. God supernaturally preserved his words. How did he do that? In the Old Testament, he preserved his words through the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. So 1948 or whatever year it was when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they found a, that's called the Great Isaiah Scroll. And that was six or 800 years older than the oldest extant copy, existing copy of the book of Isaiah. It was six or 800 years older. And when they compared it word for word, there were only six differences. And there were minor differences that were easy to discern. So what happened? These Jews, these, this Levitical priesthood was so careful in the way they copied the scriptures that God used those priests to preserve the Old Testament for us. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Jesus said, or, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul wrote that the church is going to be the pillar and ground of the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God chose to use the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament and the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament to preserve his words. So we believe in inspiration, that's God giving his words, inscripturation, having them written down, script, that's when they become scripture, when they're written down, and then preservation, he kept those words pure. And then we have one more word to think about. Translation. <laughs> I didn't put it on my notes. Translation. What is translation? It's God using men to take those words from one language to another language. And so we have a translation of those preserved words that we read here. And this translation is accurate. We have the words that God wants us to have. So as not, now as we dive into the book of Acts, we believe every word in the book of Acts because we believe God inspired them and then he had them inscripturated and then he preserved them. And then believe it or not, God can actually help with translation. Amen? And we hold God's word in our hands. Now, we have talked about how the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's a transitional book. There's a, there's a clear transition that takes place. And we had talked about that it's a transition from the Jewish gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the church epistles, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. These are for the churches in those areas. So a transition from the Jewish gospels, it's a different literature, to the church epistles. It's a transition. We're not going to go through all of that again. And how many of you are thankful for that? Amen. Etc. But what I want us to look at this morning is the transformation of the apostles. So when we get into the book of Acts, man, they're different. But I want you to notice something that's very interesting. Look at how Jesus had described the apostles. Now, have you ever heard what people say about you when you're not there? Right? One of my favorites is Stacy New invited her neighbor 
And her neighbor said, is that where they have that pre- that short preacher that thinks he's funny? It's funny when you hear what people say about you, right? Look at what Jesus said about the apostles. So in Matthew 8, 26, and he saith unto them, why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. I had a friend in college that used to say, O ye of little brains. But O ye of, this is how Jesus Christ described the apostles. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and saith unto him, O thou of little faith, Peter. O thou of little faith, Matthew 14, 31. Which, Jesus, which when Jesus perceived, he saith unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. How many of you think Jesus can provide bread? Right? It's Matthew 16, 8. This is what Jesus, this is Jesus' expression to the apostles over and over again. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? So this is Jesus' description of the apostles. They didn't have faith. They didn't have faith. That's the foundation of everything we do. I've already said, if you don't believe that the Bible are the words of God, then you don't have faith in those words, right? Now, our faith in the Bible says nothing about the Bible, right? The illustration we use is, I can say, I don't believe in gravity. Frank Turek said this, I don't believe in gravity. Do I then float away? So if I don't believe in gravity, I start floating away. Jim, just believe in gravity. You'll come back, come back, come back. No, my belief in gravity says nothing about gravity, but it says some things about me. A person's belief in the words of the Bible says nothing about the Bible, but it determines, remember what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He's commending them because when they received the word, they received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which which effectually worketh, in them that believe, when you believe the Bible, then it has an effect. Then it works. If you don't believe the Bible, so say, I just can't believe it. I just, I just don't believe it. That's because you're choosing not to believe it. God's not going to hit you in the head with a two-by-four and make you believe. He has given you evidence after evidence after evidence of his existence, of his truth. And then he actually communicated to you in your own language the word of God. And that's what we have here. And so it, ta- it took faith for these disciples to believe that Jesus was who he was, and it takes faith for us to believe that we have the actual words of God, and we do. The basis of our faith is faith. That's why it's called faith. Now, again, we're, we're still describing who these apostles were. Peter's faith was not strong enough to stand up to a, to a young girl. Now, let me just tell you something. Peter was no coward. Peter was no coward. Can you imagine a Roman legion coming at you, and you draw a sword. You got, you've only got a couple of swords. Jesus said to them, sell your shirt, buy a sword, remember? And they said, we have two. Here's some guys in the garden. They're coming to arrest Jesus. Here's an army coming at them, and they've got two swords. What does Peter do? I got this. Was Peter afraid? Not even a little bit. So he wasn't a coward. What happened? He had believed the wrong thing. And look what happens. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. 
But he denied before them all, saying, I, not, I know not what thou sayest. And the Bible says he denied Jesus with an oath. He swore, I don't know who Jesus is. So is this faithful or faithless? Faithless. This is, this is the apostles before Jesus' resurrection. All except John had fled for their lives. When, G, when, when they were told that Jesus had risen from the dead, remember the ladies came back from the, from the tomb and they realized Jesus was risen. When told that Jesus had risen, they scoffed at the report. So here's, here's what the Bible says. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Jesus was risen. These ladies had, had seen that the tomb was empty and the angel had told them, Jesus Christ is risen. They went back and told the apostles, he's risen. You don't know what you're talking about. Imagine, these are men who had been with Jesus, who had eaten with him. The Bible says they had handled him with their hands. John had, had laid on him while he was eating. It's in the book of Luke. When Jesus appeared to them following his resurrection, he found them cowering in fear. Listen to what the Bible says. John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. They, they were cowering. They were scared. But by the time we get into the book of Acts, we see an interesting difference. So go to the book of Acts. Notice their boldness. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Here's some uneducated guys. Listen to the way that they're talking. Listen to their boldness. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have been in a situation and you wanted to address something that you knew just wasn't right, but you didn't have the confidence that you were able to communicate it? Would you raise your hands? How many of you have been like that? This is the disciples. This is the disciples in the upper room, in John chapter 20. Okay? That, that's them. Now, here are these unlearned and ignorant men speaking with such boldness that people are saying, what in the world is happening here? Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. Now look at verse 31. That's what they had prayed. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So how, what is this transformation? How did this happen? What happened to transform these faithless, fearful men into the bold and fearless men of the book of Acts? That's a transformation. Some of you, you might say, you know what? I'm not a public speaker. So July 3rd, I'm going to be preaching at another church. And so I'm getting one of our men to, to fill in. And many have recommended Ed Bermond. 
And I think Ed is embarrassed of the Lord. No, no, no. He's not a public speaker. How many of you, the last thing in the world you want to do is public speaking? Would you raise your hand? I came out of my mother's womb talking. Okay? God prepares people to do their job. Some of you are salesmen. It's easy for you to talk to people. That's not, some of you, you're just not interested in talking to people about anything. Right? Except as believers, the Bible says that we are supposed to be witnesses of him. So this is where we need the boldness that these apostles had to do the work that God has called us to do. Where does that boldness come from? Where did these apostles get the boldness? And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But by, Now, this is, this is their understanding. This is the apostles' understanding in Luke chapter 9. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, listen to what he said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand his death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't understand that he was going to be killed. They didn't understand it. That's what the Bible says. They did not understand the scriptures. Remember when Jesus told Peter that he was going up to Jerusalem and he was going to die? What did Peter say? Be it not so, Lord. No, no, no. Jesus said, okay, here's the plan. I'm going to die. This is the plan. And Peter said, no, no, that's not the plan. No, that, no, no, no. And what did Jesus say? Peter, you're such a good guy. Let me teach you a little bit more. So what Jesus said, what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Wow, Jesus was so tender. Look at this. This is Luke 18. And you can look up these passages in your Bible if you'd like to, but I've got them printed for you, or at least whatever this is called. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So where were they written? By the prophets. Okay, everyone, where were they written? By the... So here's the problem. All of this is written in the Old Testament, but they don't get it. All right, all things and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? That's Jesus. Anytime you see that phrase, the Son of Man, that's Jesus in his body. Okay, this physical body that's called the Son of Man. So concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated. And so spitefully entreated, are you the king? And shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Look at this. And they understood all of these things because they had been preaching them for three and a half years. Is that what it says? And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now, I should have bolded this, but look at the end of that verse. It says, and they understood none of these things. What's the difference? What caused the transformation? Look at Luke chapter 24. Get to Luke chapter 24. 
what's going to change us? What's going to give us the boldness to be the witnesses that, are we are, that we are to be? Remember, this series, the book of Acts, is the beginning of our story. It's not the end of the apostles' story. It's the beginning of our story. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer. If we are to continue the Lord's work in the church that he has established for us to do, where are we going to find our boldness? The understanding of the scriptures. Their understanding of the scriptures changed everything. So look at Luke chapter 24, verse 45. So, okay, so look up here for just a second. Got to set this up. So Jesus is risen from the dead. In Luke 24, he goes and appears to two of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. These two disciples are walking along, and they're real sad. And he said, why are you sad? And they said, because of what happened, what the things that happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus, it's so funny. What things? Jesus has a sense of humor. It's hilarious. He's messing with these guys. He said, what things? And they start telling him about Jesus and how he died. And so then Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounds unto them the scriptures, all things concerning himself. Amazing. And then the, the disciples, except John, have run away. They're out fishing. Peter is out fishing. Remember, he said, what are you guys going to? I'm going fishing. Remember, that's, he had left all that behind to follow Jesus. He went back to what he was doing before. And Jesus, remember one of the first things he says, hey, go tell Peter. Go tell Peter. And Jesus appears on the seashore, and he builds a fire, and he, he's going to prepare a meal for him. And he said, hey, cast the net on the other side. And they got, brought this great draft of fish, and they drag it in. The nets didn't break. And now Jesus starts cooking for them. And they're so excited. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's risen. But they still weren't ready. You know, their understanding changed everything. Now they had authority for preaching. But remember, you don't really know something until you can explain it to someone else. They didn't understand yet. This is after his resurrection. They didn't understand. So let's look at Luke 24 and let's look at what it says. Verse 45. Then... Opened he their what? That they might what? Understand the scriptures. What did he show them? And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Okay, so now, people often ask, what caused this great change from these cowardly, cowering, faithless, uncertain apostles to the fiery, bold, confident, listen, knowledgeable preachers of the book of Acts? What changed? Now, here's what we, here, here are the two things that we often hear, and they're true. They saw the resurrected Christ. Things change when somebody rises from the dead, Right? So Peter's faith could be affirmed. But remember, Peter, he still, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. All of these things he had to learn. Remember, it was after the resurrection that Jesus is telling Peter what he's going to do with him. And Peter looks at John and says, hey, what about him? It's not, what is that to thee? You see the exasperation in, in, in Jesus' voice as he's speaking to Peter. They still had to learn some things. 
So you have the resurrection of Jesus it clearly changed everything. And then the, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, the, the Old Testament prophets are inquiring about the words that God had given them about salvation. And they, they, they were inquiring about the salvation and about the things they had written about Jesus. And Peter wrote, unto whom it was revealed that not unto them were these things written, but unto us who have preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So those Old Testament prophecies about Christ and about that salvation wasn't for the Old Testament prophets. It's for us who preach after the Holy Ghost was sent in Acts chapter 2. Peter said that. So what are the two things that really contributed to their transformation? Clearly, the resurrection of Christ. And clearly, the indwelling and empowering Holy Ghost. Would you all agree with that? But that's not all. Something had to happen between their seeing the resurrected Christ and their being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. What was it? For the first time in their lives, they now understand the Old Testament. He opened their understanding. Now, here's the thing. By the time tonight we're going to look at this. Tonight we're going to look at how their preaching with boldness was preaching from the Old Testament. This is that which was spoken by the prophet. This is that. And they quote the Old Testament over and over again with boldness. And it appears that Peter is quoting these things off the cuff. Even in, They even found out. Listen to what they found out. Remember Judas had betrayed him? What happened at the upper room? Which one of us is going to betray you at the Last Supper? Which one of us is going to betray you? Then by the time they get to the book of Acts, they're saying, hey, in the Old Testament... Listen, it's said that one of them is going to betray him. Why didn't they know that? See, here's the thing. These men knew the Old Testament better than we do. These men knew the Old Testament better than we know the New Testament. Because it was their entire culture. Everything that they had based their entire lives around was learning the Old Testament. Everything, that, the on, listen, the only thing they knew was the Old Testament and how to fish all they knew. Luke had some more education. Matthew knew how to count and take money from people. That's about it. What changed? God opened their understanding of the Old Testament. What's going to give us boldness? Understanding the Bible. You don't know something until you can explain it to someone else. Everything changed. So what's going to change for us? See, we can, we can give messages on how to have a happy home, how to, I don't know, we can talk political stuff all the time. There's lots of things we could talk about. None of that is going to give us our boldness. What's going to give us our boldness is understanding what has God said, what has he promised, how can I know that, how can I speak that with boldness, how can I really understand it. That's what studying the Bible is. And that's what you're signing up for as we study through the book of Acts. So now, what is this understanding? What is required of us? What is required that we understand? Well, look back at Luke 24. Look back at Luke 24. Look at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written... And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. What do you need to know? What is the message that you need to believe? How many of you know the Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? How many of you know that's what the Bible teaches? Right? Do you believe it? Number one, this is what you have to know and understand. Old Testament taught it. New Testament taught it. This is the message that we are given. Right? You're witnesses of these things. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That's our message. That's what it is. You can know that's the message. But if you don't believe it, what does the Bible say? He that believeth shall be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already. You might say, well, I do believe that, but I also believe that, that I've got to work. I've got to give money. I've got to be baptized. I have to do all of these things. So, yes, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but I also believe that Jesus needs me to help him. Well, the Bible says, if of faith, then not of works. For by grace, what is grace? It's a gift. It's a gift. Anderson, come here. One of the only teenagers I can find that's not taller than me. Come here. Because you're what, 12? 13? I hate you. Okay, here's Anderson. Yay. Yay, I get to do this. All right, here's my pen. It's a lovely pen. I want to make it a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, you got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years to keep it. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift if you have to work for it. Thank you, Anderson. Appreciate it, even though I hate you. Okay, listen, so important. If it's a gift, you can't work for it. The wages of sin is death. We know what wages are. It's what you get for what you do. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't work for a gift. We all know that. You can't work for a gift. If you think that you have to cooperate with Jesus and work, then here's the problem. Here's the problem. You're not believing. Because the Bible says that his death, burial, and resurrection is enough. That's the message. That's the message. How many of you believe that? You believe that. Now, if you're here and you've heard the message, but you've never received, what do you have to do to make it to, to, for a gift to be yours? You just have to receive it, right? You could give me a gift. You could say, hey, pastor, I gave you a gift. And by the way, my name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. Give me anything you want to. You could say, hey, pastor, I put a gift for you in the fellowship hall. It's there. It's all paid for. All you have to do is take it and I leave it there, does that gift ever become mine? No, because I haven't received it. Jesus Christ gave us a gift, and he left it right here. And he said, just receive it. Just receive it. And my question for you today is, are you willing to receive it? He's offering it to you. Jesus died for you. 
If you were the only person in the world, he would have died on the cross for you. The Bible says he tasted death for every man, every one of us. For God so loved the world, every one of us. If you'll just receive the gift. The Bible says it this way um, in 1 John chapter 5. It says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. How do you receive the life? By receiving the Son. Not by eating something. It's by believing. If you'll believe in Jesus, believe in him, receive the gift, repent. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of your mind. So here's the way it would work. So let's say that you believed in Jesus, you believed in his death, burial, and resurrection, but you also believed that that he needed you to keep working to do all of these things. Here's what repentance is. I used to believe this. I'm changing my mind to believe what the Bible says. So the Bible says repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Faith. There's that word again, faith. Repentance toward God, faith in God. I'm going to repent. I'm changing my mind about what? About my sin, that my sin is bad enough to take me to hell. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, he's enough. He's enough. You believe that, you'll be saved. That's our message. This is where we get our boldness. It was in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. The the theme of the Bible is the glory of Jesus Christ, that he's coming back to sit on his throne. But part of that is he's gathering, he's gone out looking for a people for his name. In the New in the Old Testament, that's the Jews. In the New Testament, it's Christians. We're named after Christ. Amen? How do you become a Christian? By placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you've never done that, let today be that day. Let, the Bible describes the Jews as a stiff-necked people. What's a stiff-necked person? All right, you're trying to talk to them. You ever have a stiff-necked child? You try and get their head because they're not looking at you, and you turn their head, and their whole body comes with it because they're stiff-necked. Man, there's so many people. You know that Jesus Christ is real. History tells us that. His resurrection was witnessed by more than 500 people, as written about by other people who had heard about it, who were not even Christians. We know who he was. We know he rose from the dead. We have the, the attestation of Scripture. We see the transformed lives of the apostles, the transformed lives of the people who sit in this room. We have all of that. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Just look up. You'll know there's a God, and you'll also know that there's a judgment. There's never been a civilization discovered that didn't have some kind of sacrificial system to appease a righteous and holy God because the heavens declare his glory. The heavens declare his wrath. We know this is true, but the culture, it brings all these other ideas to us. Finally, at some point, we have to say, I believe. I repent. What I was believing isn't right. This is true. You believe that? You ask Jesus Christ to save you? He will. That's the hope of eternal life that we have. That's the promise. That's the message. Folks, that's where we get our boldness. That's the message we've got to go out there and tell. That's the only reason we exist as a church. I enjoyed the music earlier. Very thankful for the musicians and all the hard work. I'm thankful for this amazing sound system and this building and all of this stuff. The nice soft chairs and praise God for air conditioning. I'm thankful. None of that is the church. Our job, the message of the church is not to sing real pretty in here. 
The message of the church is to go out there and tell people. Whether you're a public speaker or not. See, we get our boldness. We get our boldness from understanding. Understanding what the message is, understanding what our mission is. That's where we get our boldness. Understanding is the key to boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. We don't deserve to have any of it. Father, thank you so much for for teaching us.